welcome to GE Vital Voices, where we help move the conversation and solutions forward. GE Healthcare is focused on precision health. Doctors, nurses and clinicians are often under-resourced and overburdened. And COVID-19 has brought this front and center. Solving the industry's productivity challenges by improving access, enabling more precise patient diagnosis and treatment, shortening hospital stays and wait times, and lowering overall costs is more pressing now than ever. GE Healthcare is about delivering on the future of healthcare by enabling precision health, integrated, efficient, and highly personalized care. Hello and welcome to another episode of GE Vital Voices. As you probably know by now, this is the podcast where we speak directly to healthcare workers and everybody in South Africa and beyond who is really interested in our healthcare sector and wants to have these conversations about what is important and vital to us. We are talking about cancer and to me it feels like Everyone, unfortunately, at some point is affected by cancer, whether it is directly, perhaps you have a health scare, whether it is in your close circles, family. It is something that most of us will encounter in some way. So it's important that we keep talking about it. It continues to be an issue in South Africa. And I, as a healthcare journalist, have covered this issue quite frequently. And my opinion or my sense of the situation is that South Africa has done a lot of good work in trying to improve our cancer services all the way from screening to diagnostics and treatment, but that there is still a lot to be done. And so today I have two people with me who are really at the forefront of this. I'm very excited for this conversation. I have with me Zodwa Sitole from the Cancer Association of South Africa. Africa. They are the biggest um, non-profit in the space and, and probably a name you have heard before. And then Zanya Singh from the Non-Communicable Diseases Department in the National Department of Health. Thank you, ladies, for joining me. It's a really important and exciting conversation. So, Zodwa, uh, let's start with you. Set the scene for um, myself and our listeners. What is the state of cancer care at the moment in South Africa and, and where are sort of the biggest trends and issues? Elna, thank you. Uh, first, I must start by saying thank you for inviting us. As you have mentioned, there's a lot which has been done in this country when it comes to cancer. Maybe if I can start with screening, you know, I think I need to make this introduction that cancer can develop in all ages, races, ethnic background, social standing, and all the ages. Even with our childhood, we, we do have kids who've got cancer. So it is so important to do the screening. And also what I would like to highlight as you reach the adulthood at the age of 30, your risk becomes higher of getting cancer. So this is so important to do regular screenings so that cancer can be detected early. Because most of the problem we have, people, they present with a late stage. 
And, you know, recently I've been getting queries with the young people, 23 year old, coming up with stage four cancer. So if in this country we can improve on screening, it's so important. And maybe I must just say, if you look at uh, the uh, Sanja, I know you know what I'm talking about. If you look at the National Cancer Strategy, it stresses the importance of screening, that screening should happen at the primary level and at also at the secondary level. That's where people, they need to be screened. You know, there should be a proper referral pathways so that they won't be delayed after patients have been screened and diagnosed and starting treatment. Actually, I want to say screening should start at the community level where the people, they should be educated about cancer. Mm. What is cancer? What are the symptoms? What is important for prevention of cancer? And also that will help to eliminate stigma against cancer. I think what you're saying is especially important to me in light of we know during the COVID-19 pandemic that generally a lot of people were not going to clinics and hospitals as easily. They were maybe not going when previously they would have gone if they found a lump or something unusual. And so this increased need to make sure that healthcare workers and patients are aware of the symptoms, I think is very important. Very important. So, Sandhya, following on from that, where are the main challenges and shortcomings? Of course, you work with the public sector, but perhaps in general in South Africa. Where are those coming from? I believe that sitting at a discussion with colleagues from civil society is a critical step in terms of government addressing challenges. Government needs to understand what is the situation on the ground. And the challenges are from both supply and demand perspectives. At the moment, Zodro mentioned a very important point about aging. South Africa has the highest proportion of population aging at the moment. So it's inevitable that we will have a higher incidence of cancer. However, South Africa also has very high prevalence of risk factors mm. which are preventable and which are contributing to the onset of cancer. And at the moment, we are looking at harmful use of alcohol, uh, use of tobacco and obesity. And for as long as we don't address these preventable risk factors, irrespective mm. of the developments in treatment, we're still going to have patients presenting with cancer mm. because of these risk factors. So we as government, we need population-based interventions which will address preventable risk factors. However, for as long as these risk factors are commercially driven and an industry benefits from profits, which are worth millions and millions of dollars ultimately, there's going to be great hesitancy for industry to come to the party. But that's at a population level. Government has admitted that our health systems for cancer treatment, actually the entire continuum, is, has been a challenge. So from the time uh, there's a suspicion of cancer, Following that entire pathway, there are uh, health system issues and health systems relate to human resources, to diagnostics and therapeutics, which include the equipment for treatment. 
Our data has been a challenge, but the Cancer Registry has done excellently in terms of catching up. And I think I must pay tribute to our dear departed director, Dr. Elvira Singh, for the enormous work she did. And her loss has been felt by all sectors locally and internationally. At the moment, I would say human resources in the public sector, as well as diagnostics and therapeutics, especially equipment, have been a critical challenge. Zorro mentioned the issue of stigma contributing to late identification. And I think that is an issue that we have great opportunities to work with civil society in terms of educating communities. Because as soon as a woman suspects a lump in her breast, she knows that her husband is going to Mm-hmm. Either kick her out or say, I don't want a woman who's got breast cancer because she's automatically, there's so much a stigma associated with having a wife and, and a sexual partner who's got either cervical or breast cancer. And then, of course, as a segue to what you mentioned, COVID has had an enormous negative impact along the entire continuum. So not only were our communities afraid to seek health if they suspected cancer, our screening services were interrupted, but we are now sitting with a massive backlog of treatment because treatment facilities at hospitals were then redirected towards COVID care. So that as soon as you delay treatment, you are impacting on not only survivorship, but the quality of survivorship. So we are now playing catch up and that will continue to be a challenge for a little while. But more importantly, we've got to identify as government, how do we mitigate against another pandemic? Tomorrow it could be anything, you know, another virus on the continent, but also mitigate another humanitarian crisis. Mm. So, I would say our challenges have been identified from both supply and demand perspectives and that while acknowledging the challenges, we've also got to understand that government alone can't solve those challenges. So as you know, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are healthcare workers and we all know healthcare workers have a thousand things um, pressuring them, impacting them. Everybody is saying, remember diabetes, remember cancer, do this, do that. What would you um, like them to know, Zodra, about where we are right now with cancer? What can they do? For me, it starts with the existing cancer policies. We do have policies in this country, but the big questions, are they implemented? Mm. So if we can implement the existing policies, that will be wonderful. And uh, again, the poor cancer knowledge with the, you know, at the primary uh, level and secondary contributes to the Late diagnosis and late treatment. So if we know our policies and we implement them, I'm telling you, things will change. And also another thing, if our healthcare professionals, especially at the primary health level, can be trained on top five cancers, you know, we, 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 when we look at the statistics, we do have top five cancers. At the moment, we've got more than 300 different types of cancers. So if we 
at the primary health level, we can train our healthcare professionals. You know, we will beat this enemy, which is called cancer. Hmm. So that's where this very typical example comes in of somebody coming into a clinic with, say, a cough and knowing that, yes, it could be TB, it could be a variety of things, but it could also be lung cancer and primary healthcare workers having that awareness. If I can come in here, Anna, just to make a personal example, I'm a nurse by training. I used to work at the primary health nurses long time ago. Sometimes since I'm working at cancer, I ask myself, how many patients have I failed? As a trained nurse, I don't remember going deep on oncology, you know, during my training. Patients will come, sister, I've got shortness of breath. I don't like, I don't, I'm not having a good appetite. I'm coughing up blood. The first thing I'll do, take the sputum bottle and go home. Patient will come back as sister don't have the sputum, or maybe the results will come back negative. But if the patient came for the when she was coming for the first time, I had this lung cancer in my mind. That's why I'm saying, I wonder how many patients have I failed as a nurse. So that's why I'm saying it's so important to train the healthcare workers at the primary head level so that we can be able to detect cancer at an early stage. Mm, thank you for bringing it down to that granular, on the ground, real level, because in the end, it does come down often to these moments, to the nurse knowing what to think about. So, Zania, from your side, from the governmental side, how do we shift the needle on implementation? Mm. So just some background, I think Zodwa uh, mentioned a, a very good point about implementation of policies. And, and I think just to highlight what you are also asking, when the uh, National Cancer Strategic Framework was uh, approved in 2017, the then Minister Motiledi asked us to focus on using this particular document to strengthen diagnostics and uh, treatment. So in preparation for the finalization and approval of the document, an investment case was done through the help of the Clinton Health Initiative and Treasury. And as a result of that, uh, Treasury allocated funding under the NHI banner. And this money has then been used in uh, provinces where uh, there, were, there were no specialized facilities to try and start the development of specialist services because these are very expensive. Uh, the development of a radiation oncology center is extremely expensive. So what has happened since is one example of the implementation of this particular document that focused on diagnostics and treatment was then to bring in a grant under NHI that has been allocated to uh, low priority provinces where there were 
limited services. And just two examples of those include uh, Mpumalanga with the developments at Freer Hospital and uh, Northern Cape at, with developments at uh, Robert Subukwe. There have also been developments subsequent to that at the Nelson Mandela Academic Hospital in Eastern Cape. And we are looking at also contracting human resources. And that is what alleviated the backlog in KZN. I think there we have a long way to go with implementation. There are components of both the strategy as well as subsequent guidelines. There have been guidelines on breast, cervical. We are finalizing the guidelines on lung cancer and prostate. And we are also in the process of developing guidelines for adolescent and child health, child oncology. So those guidelines are, are aimed to improve quality of care. Mm-hmm. But we have to acknowledge that we will continue to be a resource-constrained environment for a little while longer. What we've got to do as government is to identify where are the resources and how do we pool those resources to have maximum output. One aspect of breakthrough around implementation has been the improved communication and engagement with many sectors, including civil society. And as a result of that, we've been able to have a better understanding of exactly what's going on in the ground. And we've had support via institutions, for example, NGOs, for example, the Cancer Alliance, who are hosting engagements, which they call solution labs. By engaging different sectors where we don't have the time for it, they are doing it with Mm -hmm. our support, getting the viewpoints of various sectors, private sectors. Uh, civil society, patient organizations, and coming back with us uh, to us to say, how then do we enhance these breakthroughs? Absolutely. It is such a big problem. So there is also a wide variety of stakeholders that are involved at all levels. And Zodwa, I want to ask you about a particular group that you've been doing some work with recently, where you are working together with traditional healers, making them aware of issues around cancer, because as we know, they are very often for our communities, the first port of call. Tell us a bit about the importance of those stakeholders and just engaging with the healthcare sector at every level. I also want to acknowledge the Department of Health, uh, the traditional medicine directory. They supported uh, this project. So the reason why we approach the traditional health practitioners is just to improve access to treatment and early diagnosis. That was the main thing. Because as you mentioned, Elna, our people, they, that's where they start. If they not well, they go to the traditional health practitioners, majority of our people. And if the, the traditional health practitioners can be aware of the, again, top five, because we were training them in the top five cancers, it was such a good project, and I hope we'll continue because we didn't reach everybody. So it was just at the provincial level, if we can go down to the district. But the purpose of that training, it was the early detection, early diagnosis, and early treatment. This has been such a wide-ranging 
conversation and some really good points. And I want to end off with a final question to both of you. For the healthcare workers who are listening, what is the one thing that you want them to take away from this conversation? Uh, I think there's so many. <laughs> Definitely would support addressing interventions around population-based prevention strategies. There are many lifestyles, risk factors that are contributing to cancer. So I think if we're looking at harmful use of alcohol, tobacco, obesity, those are contributing to many of the cancers. I think being informed, uh, seeking help early. And also, I think from a government perspective, our intervention should be looking at what do we have at the moment and how do we make optimal use of existing resources? How do we use these resources better? And this inevitably involves how do we engage the public sector, the private sector, and the NGO civil society sector, because we can't do this on our own. And if it means improving access to care, then we've got to look at what is out there and how do we make sure our arrangement of our funding as well as treatment facilities benefit people and we don't have a situation where a child with cancer and their parents have to travel long distances from an informal settlement in Northern Cape to Bloemfontein. Ultimately, we've got to respect the rights of our people. And if that means government has to do things smarter and reorganize ourselves, then that's what we have to do. Do you have a one thing you want people to remember? <laughs> Improve access to cancer treatment. You know, Sandra has just mentioned that there are people who travel about 400 kilometers to access cancer treatment. And again, as healthcare workers, we really need to understand that when you hear the word, you have been diagnosed with cancer, you put your, yourself in the shoes of that patient. Family disruption, you know, employment, financial burden. A big message here that if you think that the patient is being diagnosed, like now in June, and they said you'll start your treatment in September, can you imagine that adds the stress? To those families and patients, we as Cancer Association, we get a lot of uh, phone calls. Patient in a panic, crying that my mom has been diagnosed with cancer now in June, but the appointment is only in September or October. And another thing, patients sometimes are being discharged with not proper pain management. Patient, they called us, they said, I've been discharged yesterday, but the pain it's too much. So palliative care is so important. It should be the part of cancer treatment. And I will highly recommend that the health professionals should also be trained in palliative care. Thank you. I've been speaking to Zodwa Sitole from Cancer and Sandhya Singh from the National Department of Health. And Let's be honest, this conversation could continue for hours, as it should when it comes to cancer. And my big takeaways here are really that if you're human, then cancer could happen to you. It's not something that is happening over there to other people. And that means that 
as people in the healthcare space, perhaps as healthcare workers, this is something that is a reality, but it's a reality we can catch early. It's actually in our power to do things better, to be more informed and maybe change lives. <laughs> it sounds, it, it sounds uh, cliched, but in this case, it really is possible. Thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you. And thank you for thank inviting you. us. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah. My name is Elena Schutz and you have been listening to GE Vital Voices. Healthcare has never been more accessible, intelligent or dynamic. It's also never been under more pressure. That's where GE Healthcare comes in. You and we, the clinicians and professionals on the front lines of delivering healthcare for your patients and communities. Also, those building the intelligent devices, data analytics, applications and services to enable you to do so more efficiently and with better outcomes. Together, we're at the center of an ecosystem striving for precision health. We release episodes regularly and you can find us wherever you find your podcasts. GE Healthcare is online, all the social media, just look for GE Africa and join us again on the next episode.